we're back with another episode of Natural AF Podcast. I've got my good friend here, Chance, the God Tiger Bear, Garten of the <laughs> Interverse Podcast. Dude, how you how you been, man? Oh man, you added me. I haven't made any official bear name claims, but yeah, I like that one. Who knows though? It could change. change. It is a God Tiger thing, so I could do whatever it wants. <laughs> yeah thanks for having me on dude it's been uh it's been cool to be friends and know you and i've uh, been looking forward to having a recording together yeah man dude it was cool meeting you at the bertaria festival and then i got to hang out with you again over at uh, music and sky and uh, hopefully uh repeat that same thing this year so i'll be out there in august at the music and sky thing and then again in september oh yeah it's kind of reverse order this time yeah bertaria yeah. keep you on your toes did you donate enough money to throw tomatoes at Owen's face? No, no, that was not me. Me neither, but I can't <laughs> wait to see that. Hopefully it goes down. I, I I feel like it dropped off. I don't know, but I, I'm sure no one is going to forget. <clears throat> Owen's like an <laughs> elephant. <clears throat> he never forgets. Yeah, man. So it's cool that you're doing a show now. So uh, like, uh, show me around. What's, what do we do here? Dude, this is pretty simple, but the uh, the whole thing is natural AF. So I, uh, my my spirit animal is like my my um, like a nineteen eighties Sylvester Stallone, who's like really into health and like, you know, sky clock gravy and all that. That's that's where I derive some of this spirit from. But I'm really interested in um, just the deeper aspects of of holistic health. Or my last guest. Um, Lisa uh, Lisa Rose was talking about regenerative fitness, which is a really cool concept. Um, but yeah, I'm a big into weightlifting. I'm a blue collar dude, military dude, but somehow dropped in and found my way to um, exploring all kinds of things with um, with you, like sound healing techniques, um, exploring thoughts, vibrations, the aspects of water, this fourth uh, phase of water concept has really got me going. Um, and then for you, like, man, I don't know where you want to start, but like, I'm really curious how you got to where I, I'm, I'm sure I've heard it before, but this biofield tuning thing, how did you get from one, like introduce whoever you were like in high school just for fun. And then how did you get to like biofield tuning and Qigong now? <laughs> <laughs> Against all odds, I made it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, man, it's cool that we're going to get into this. I always enjoy talking to somebody who's also had a tuning experience, and so mm. did your wife. So, yeah, you know, be curious to hear a little bit of feedback, how that's been, uh, how many personality shifts or adjustments have gone since then. But me in high school was pretty cocky, thought I knew everything. <laughs> my my uh, passions were video games and uh, journalism. I did like the hmm. school newspaper. I thought I was awesome because I was a junior who got to be the editor in chief of the school newspaper, did a little bit of sticking yeah. it to the man, nice. you know, writing articles that made the principals mad. And I was an athlete. Yeah. But kind of just sort of a lazy athlete. <laughs> yeah. What'd you play? We're doing it. I did football and track and oh, cool. that was pretty much it by the end. And I actually got an injury when I was 17. And that took me out of sports and I focused more on the journalism stuff. Went to college, you know, I was, I was raised in, you know, your basic white Anglo-Saxon 
Protestant type of household and got a bit black pilled by finding out the, uh, all the stuff that was in that zeitgeist movie back in 07 when I was a senior mm-hmm. in high school. Yeah. Turned me off to all things religion. Funny because that documentary actually did reveal some helpful info about like that all, all the different savior deities that mirror the Christ mythos. And that yeah. was my cue to actually throw everything out and assume atheism was the way that didn't work out too well at all. Uh, so after the first year of college, I was pretty overweight, just playing World of Warcraft all the time, skipping class. And long story short, I found my way into uh, some meditation as a practice that helped me lose some weight, started smoking cannabis that also mm-hmm. helped me reduce stress, drop some toxic relationships. Got through school, didn't know what I wanted to do, went back and worked for the mom and dad company. Where'd you and, go to school uh, at? I went to Mizzou. So you've been like, so the, all this has kind of taken place in Missouri? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right yeah. On. Mizzou's not that far. Couple, three hour drive from where I was uh, born and raised. And now I'm back there, actually. Same spot. Turned yeah. out to be the smartest place to be incarnated and, and stick around ever. Because now, like, we got Gardner <laughs> out here. Marty's moving out here. Oh, My really? buddy Kyle from Tippecanoe Herbs is moving out here. Nice. And probably more people. And, you know, we have the Bear Tarrier campgrounds like an hour from my house. So things are great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's picking up, picking up. Yeah. So you yeah, were going I, into... I found out about Qigong while I was oh, yeah. really into music festivals. And okay. I was going to music festivals, found uh, crystals at, at vendors and things there. Sort of woke me up to the subtle energy, picking up crystals and being like, wow, actually, you know, holding it up to my head. Wow. I actually feel something. Hmm. <laughs> what is this? And that got me curious and played around with energy healing type practices, you know, helping people come out of bad trips using intention and eye contact and, and hmm. uh, chi or, or prana. I didn't really know anything about anything, but I did have a funny experience uh, for a, about a year where I like temporarily had all the sort of inner knowing and abilities of my current self back when like 10 years ago, yeah. I temporarily had like this stint as a sort of <laughs> music festival, shamanic healer guy. And <laughs> that was, that was cool. It showed me sort of the path I wanted to go. I, I realized something in me was designed or intentionally, you know, aligned with the practices of energy healing, but I didn't really have a lot of knowledge or technique. So I had to sort of go back and, build up those foundations, but that took me a, it was a circuitous path. I wound up realizing I wanted to do a podcast and started messing around with that and stuck at it and stuck at it longer than anything I'd ever stuck at in my life before. And eventually, you know, now it's doing well and I'm able to support myself on that. But back in 2019, I picked up the, in 2019, I picked up the uh, Tuning the Human Biofield book by Eileen Day McCusick after hearing mm-hmm. her on a couple of podcasts. And, you know, actually, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. They were describing a, a set of courses they wanted to take and they were going to need to travel and do some in-person stuff. And they were being recommended to buy a very expensive set of titanium tuning forks. And mm. uh, I tried to, you know, advise them, you might be... And this may be something that someone out there needs to hear, but you might be actually doing the thing where you sort of stall, stall for time with this idea uh, of perfectionism being a, an avenue for procrastination. 
in the sense that, you know, to really find out if you want to do something like tuning as a practice or an energy work practice and, and work with other people on it. To me, it makes a lot more sense to just start with an inexpensive set, decent tuning forks. I recommend the website Omnivos, O-M-N-I-V-O-S, or Medivibe, M-E-D-I-V-I-B-E. Those are some good tuning forks, or there are great tools over at the Biofield Tuning Store that Eileen McCusick yeah. runs. They're a little more expensive. They're nicer tools. They'll last longer, but... Is that one on your desk there to your left? Yeah, it is. Nice. The That's the uh, slider. slider. That's where people should start. That's where I started, actually. I still haven't Just picked one up, but I'm really... I'm really curious about it because like I have this thing with my left side that's still ongoing. It's getting better though. It, there's a little bit of purging going on, but like um I have like you know those like bumps where you get like the lymphatic little things. They're all on my left side. And so mm. I'm thinking sonic slider, just put it on there a couple times a day and work it out. But That'll do it. I think that'll do it. It helped yeah. me a lot. I had a left shoulder injury that wouldn't go away for months and months. And then I got one of these sonic sliders and started putting it on there. And within a couple of days, I could raise my arm over my head again and could start yeah. doing exercise that required the left shoulder and uh, everything was better quick. But I have to, I've talked about this before. I didn't know that after starting to use the sonic slider on my shoulder, I would end up also discoupling from <laughs> a, uh, a very unhealthy relationship I had going mm. on Interesting. in first marriage. And so anyway, watch out, you know, if, you, if you're going to heal your body, there are going to be things in your external life that will have to also change and shift and maybe not what you thought or expected. But anyway, you know, the thing I was trying to make a point about to wrap that up is I think people should just learn about tuning from maybe watching videos and reading mm -hmm. things that aren't that expensive before you make a huge investment. Because I, I don't say that you shouldn't go get a course and a certification. If you've got the means and you're that gung ho, definitely do that. That's fine. But don't let the whole mountain of like, uh, it costs so much to do this certification and I need these really expensive tools. Don't let that stall you out from starting. Yeah. That's really what I want people to get because I was able to figure out my way of doing it just by reading a couple of books and getting a, a set of forks and practicing on some friends until I felt confident yeah. to start offering it to more people. Dude, it's amazing how intuitive this stuff can be. Like I just heard from talking, talking in, uh, to Eileen McCusick a little bit at the Music and Sky about the vocal toning that she's she was the going coolest. To. Dude, and just hearing some of the stories about vocal tuning and toning or however they say it. Um, I came back home and I've been going through my own healing journey and emotional journey. Um, you know, combining the physical with <laughs> physical is manifesting symptoms because of what's going on emotionally and energetically. It's all very, very real. And like I had these chronic, like bad stomach pains for a while and I was so fed up with it. But then I, I started toning, like singing and doing different, like, like uh, either the ohm or um, hue and then pausing in the different vocal like mouth positions of he you until I found something that started to feel better in my stomach. I, I just literally sat on my floor and just was like singing those sounds and the pains went away and it was like severe. It was like bad shit. So I was like <laughs> blown away by that. Where did you pick? First of all, that's awesome. 
You just yeah. demonstrated exactly what we have the power to do yeah. <laughs> with our voice and our bodies and our uh, attention. So that is freaking sweet. I actually think you can totally get your biofield all worked out just with your own voice if you and you know actually playing around with it is a big part of it mm -hmm. the play part is totally acceptable but where did you pick up hue where does that come from um that came from uh kimanami so she does like holistic sex coaching health like sex gravy and uh it's cool like it's <laughs> It's really fascinating uh, her her uh, show, but um, sex gravy combining food and sex like George Costanza's <laughs> ultimate dream. Yeah, yeah you just <laughs> pour it all over each other. It's a great lubricant. <laughs> Not too hot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool a little bit. Um, well, I just wanted to point out how interesting it is with the word hue. Mm. I mean, we're humans, right? Yeah. Yep. The, are you familiar with the IHS that they put on like the cross and mm -hmm. stuff and more in Catholicism, a, but you'll see that in Protestant churches too. Yeah, it's like a Templar thing, I think, right? Oh, it's way older than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So IHS turns out, you know, that's supposed to represent Jesus. They say yeah. it's like uh, something, Jesus hominem salvator or something like mm -hmm. that, uh, because the Greek spelling of Jesus starts with an I typically. Yeah. But that's actually way older than Jesus. And well, unless you realize that Jesus is not as new as 2000 years ago, hmm. the IHS was a monogram for Bacchus before it was Jesus's monogram. Okay. And in the Greek that was re represented with the letters, Upsilon, Eta, Sigma. Upsilon is a funny letter. Doesn't perfectly translate from Greek to English alphabets, but one possible transliteration would make it an I. And then the Eta is either an E or an H. And then Sigma is S. So is IHS. Upsilon, this like thing? That's a that? Sigma, actually. Okay. So but you got it. That is a Greek letter. <laughs> it's one of the three we're talking about. <laughs> one popped so. into my head. I have that brain cell working. Upsilon <laughs> kind of looks like a, a mix between a V and a U in the English oh, okay. alphabet. But yeah, the uh, transliteration of this Upsilon, Eta, Sigma could give you the word phonetically, Hue, like H-U-E. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Or like whenever you know, they mistake it. <laughs> okay. They, they made mistakes copying things from the the ancient past whenever they're setting up their whole rebranding thing that we call the Roman Empire, Holy Roman Empire. Right. So anyway, Hugh is Bacchus, is Jesus. And mm -hmm. you could also uh, transliterate that to yes, like Y-E-S, which I find interesting because yes is a... Uh, you know, it's the affirmative. It's a very solar word. It's like the sun is saying yes to all of us all the time, right? Yeah. So anyway, that hue word, I think, has some ancient mystical meaning for sure. Even that we're called human is interesting. It's like we're, we're Jesus's men or Bacchus's men. Yeah. Dude, that's what I love about you, dude. Like, I mean, among other things, but you're big into linguistics and you know, you know your shit. And I love it because I, I, um, I'm a bit of a linguist I just know myself. The things I know. <laughs> There's a lot more to know. Dude, I was fascinated with um with Russian for, at an early age ever since I saw Rambo 3. And, and that's directly correlated to why I went into the military cuz I wanted to learn Russian. <laughs> did you learn Russian? Mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah, I did 6 months in a it was the special operations language training, SALT. And um yeah. 
I still see, I still speak you it. Could still be practice teaching it. me some stuff. I think there's a t a huge untapped gravy mine on yeah. Russian mythology, Russian literature, and how you could syncretize that to the, uh, you know, the stuff that we're more more likely to run into being from the Greek or Latin roots. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating because like I'm looking at the Greek. And, and some, not all, there's a few letters in Greek that are the same sort of phonetic sound in Russian. Um, they have this weird, like, it's like a circle with a line through it that's like an F. I don't know if that's similar oh, in that's Greek. that's a phi in Greek, which is our PH. Yeah, yeah, so in Russia, that's an F or a F, you know? Oh, man, sounds like maybe they got their whole thing set up by the same Holy yeah. Sailor Maritime Empire. Yeah, that's the people me. that can see this on the video. Yeah, it's a circle with a line through. It looks like a butt with a tail hanging out of it. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I got to look into the Russian alphabet now. All right. Yeah, it's very cool. And I love it because it's very, um, there's none of these dumb games that English plays where there's all these silent letters and stuff. It's pretty much, there's a couple of like little lowercase b looking things that are just there to kind of like tell you whether it's a hard or soft sound, but pretty much everything is pronounce exactly how it's spelled so well even russian as a word is interesting to me first of all rus is like yeah. red right we they're the red the red the red army the red scare all that stuff was going on and yeah it's been a long time that the red man has been the bad guy or the boogeyman in mm. various culture wars and empire propaganda narratives like uh, the Gauls, for example, who are the ancient Celts, they mm -hmm. were the word Gaul is basically the same as a French word meaning red ghoul. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then the, uh, you know, the Native Americans, the red skins, they're the bad guys. Actually, there's way more than that. I've done <laughs> maybe a more comprehensive dig on that in the past. So there's nothing else coming to mind. But Rus, R U S, mm -hmm. if you put that Bustrophodon and read it right to left, you get Sir. And Sir is Surya, the sun in Hindu mythology. You have the Phoenician capital of Sir, which is spelled T-Y-R-E, so it's a little weird. But that's also very similar to the name that they call their rulers, the Tsar, Sir, yeah. Tsar. Sir can also mean rock. It's also the root of like serpent. And anyway, it goes on and on. But like Russia as a name, I think there's like a huge amount of reveal just in that if you sort of play with the letters and know what you're looking at yeah yeah the ruski brasi um was it the uh the bustrophodon what does that mean that's when a language is read from right to left instead of left to right like english okay and it's very valuable to look at words forwards and backwards that way because well, uh, first of all, the the Greeks, for example, mm -hmm. they switched between the two styles at different points in history. And uh, Hebrew is written that way. A lot of things that were sort of transcribed from one culture or civilization to another, if one was right to left and the other was left to right, then sometimes the, you know, the transliteration to the other culture ends up backwards or something mm -hmm. like that. So that's why like the Rus and Sir is a very valid way of looking at things. And in general, looking at root words that way will sort of show you more of what they're connected to, the left to right, right to left. And then also getting uh, an idea of what letters might interchange with other letters. Like an example that has been uh, on my mind a lot lately that I guess I didn't think about as much as I 
could have until the last few days is uh, the letter H is, you know, depending on who you who you are talking to, <laughs> mm. it might be a very soft aspiration. Or like if you were a Greek, you would actually just leave it out. Like the Greeks don't call Hermes Hermes. They say Hermes. Mm. But, uh, you know, more of a an Arabic speaker, for example, they would be like Hermes, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and lots of places would. So in translating yeah, from one language yeah. to another, the H can easily become like more of a CH sound or then just a K. Or if you're, you know, C can make a hard K sound but also it can be a soft like S sound. So the letter H, when you see it, you can basically swap it with an E or you can swap it with a C or a CH or a K and see where it takes you. And an example of this would be like, what, what are horses known for having, you know, what, are the, what is a horse's hair like? It's coarse. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so you swap the H with the, the C and the horse hair is coarse hair. And then you think about what, what do we say whenever our throats are dry and scratchy? We say our throat feels hoarse, mm -hmm. but why would our throat feel hoarse? It's actually that our throat feels coarse, right? Yeah. But it's somehow like <laughs> throughout time, we've sort of yeah. adopted that, that funny uh, phraseology, but it probably stems from the C, H and H being pretty much interchangeable. So you start getting a few of those keys to uh, play with letters and, and words with and a lot becomes more evident to you and this, whenever you have an example yeah. like the horse course thing it's a good one because it shows just how valid those letter interchanges can be for you know showing you the meaning of something yeah yes yeah the whole horse thing is, is interesting to me um i grew up with horses and this kind of takes us back in like like the health sector because I, I think i'd mentioned i don't know if i mentioned and our biofield tuning thing that I was had like a horse allergy or cat allergy. Um, I'm not sure about whether or not my horse allergy is gone now or not, but like, um, the, um, the idea that your allergies aren't like a, uh, sorry, this is like way out, way out, but like the allergies are due not to like a histamine and immune little imaginary like thing floating through your system that decides that you're now allergic to something, but it's from a life experience or a life event. Um, it's, I think it's cool to ask you about that. Just bringing this up, it feels right. But like, what do you think about that with like allergies and, um, whether it's w dealing it with biofield tuning or, um, resolving the emotional conflict like in German new medicine and healing it. Like, do you think that's, do you have any experience with that or heard anybody healing their allergies? I have, I've done it. Dude, perfect. <laughs> I couldn't tell you exactly what the magic bullet was, but my whole life I have had, or I, I used to have pretty significant allergies to like everything in mm. nature, pick up a cat. I would have like red itchy splotches wherever my skin touched the cat. Um, you know, and there's so many factors, right? I actually noticed I had a little bit of irritation from picking up my parents' cat, but they use like weird, probably use like weird kitty litters and they're mm. feeding the cat weird stuff. And anyway, a flea collar or something, but it was very minor, like a mild little irritation and it went right away. But anyway, I was allergic to pollen and plants and all types of animals and pretty much the whole nine. So most of mm. my life I was a huge mouth breather because like, like there was nothing happening with my nose. Yeah. It was Dude, only same. out things coming out, yeah. not going, no air going in. 
And I adopted a, a vegan diet for a little while, kind of got on the bandwagon ideologically with that. Um, this was probably like 2000, 2015. And I, I lasted on that for about five years. And the first couple of years were actually great. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I felt very strong and healthy, but then uh, as time went on, it got harder and harder to feel like I was strong. <laughs> and like in the gym, yeah. I was getting zero gains, like plateaued completely, no matter what I did. Right. So, and I, I no longer do a vegan diet, but at some point in the five years that I was one, and by the way, I figured out from going vegan that it was definitely dairy that was causing me all the problems. Mm -hmm. So when I took dairy out of my diet, I was no longer pretty quickly, like within a month, I was no longer having the allergies to nature and to animals and everything like that. So that was really, <laughs> it, I was super sold on veganism because the allergies going away. It's like, oh my right. gosh, I can breathe through my nose. This is a whole new life. Sure. And when I brought meat, meat back in, I didn't do dairy right away and I was still scared of it. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know, this has probably been just a, about three months, but something told me, and I've been, you know, doing tuning sessions for people for a year and, you know, I've done a lot of uh, that kind of work on myself as well. And something just told me like, you know, maybe at this point, the allergy to dairy is more like a belief than a reality. And I just went for it, rolled the dice started eating some dairy and everything is fine. Um, you know, if it's not very clean food, I might get a little bit of boogers out of it. <laughs> you right. know, my, like body still give me a little bit of like a pushback, like, Hey, don't like this so much, but generally speaking, it's no longer a problem. So I couldn't say exactly what the solution was other than I think if people were willing to do like some major reduction in what they are eating, to like even a temporary vegan diet maybe yeah and or just like organic vegetables and like local grass-fed and organic meats definitely yeah. like try taking dairy uh, out if you haven't and then uh internal cleansing protocols like a colon cleanse a liver cleanse uh kidney cleanse those, those are things that i've done a few times and you know working on your energy field balance and yeah. then that's going to reveal to you some of the <laughs> you know, I, I feel a little hypocritical, actually. I haven't really received a lot of tunings. <laughs> I've done a lot mm -hmm. and I have a pretty good idea of the biofield anatomy. So like if something goes on in my body, I get the memo. But, you know, I'm, I'd kind of like a taste of my own medicine someday where somebody was able to sort of do the party trick and show me things from certain time periods where certain type of feelings came up mm -hmm. so that I could maybe connect dots that I ha haven't connected. So I wouldn't say that I'm perfect or... Uh, enlightened or in ascended or anything, but yeah, the point being, if you're able to connect back to the dots between like why certain things have gone on in your life and how that connects to when you were very young, it can make a huge difference in what your body decides to express to you because it's like you got the the message. And yeah, I tell my clients a lot. GI Joe says knowing is half the battle, but in tuning, knowing is pretty much the whole battle. Nice. <laughs> I've had some interesting ones lately with uh, people who had like growth type anomalies going on in their body, like a, a, a lipoma on the lower back for one guy. And that was related to, he thought, betrayal from an ex-wife that was mm. kind of gnarly and some friends. So 
you know, and he is, he was coming to the whole thing with an awareness of this lipoma is kind of like a shield so that I don't get stabbed in the back again. Ah, okay. And then it actually, we're able to dig deeper and find out that, you know, actually, as soon as I put the forks in his field, I realized, oh, you had reluctant parents whenever, and I asked him like, were they really young, like 18 or younger? when they had you and the, yes, that was the case. So we had reluctant parents. They didn't want the baby. They were scared of the responsibility and all that, which turns out that can be a huge indication of uh, later problems in life. So in the case of this uh, client, it was like, as soon as he was born as a baby, he felt betrayed by the people closest to him Yeah, because they were putting forth the energy of like not a hundred percent or maybe not very much at all wanting him. And it's not a judgment on people's parents. I mean, it would be hard to have kids yeah. as a 17 or 18 year old. I get it. I, I do get that. Yeah. But I had a similar recent client where for this individual, it was uh, like a goiter type thing on the neck. It was pretty large too. And it wasn't getting worse or anything. He hadn't gone to conventional doctors and I was like, good, good move. <laughs> I would just <laughs> rather hang out with a goiter rather than let them like poke at it and slice it open and give them drugs or whatever they would do. Uh, so anyway, yeah. it was a similar situation, um, reluctant parents and a little more specific, uh, things pertaining to communication for him is why it, it showed up where it did for him. But, and that was an interesting one because it turned out that, uh, and this is the weird stuff that you can find out with, with tuning, like, and I'll let people in on like a, a trick mm. <laughs> that I, I've been doing a lot more recently that sort of allows the uh the party trick of psychic knowing of something about somebody to be more specific and, and mind-blowing is a lot of times now i will before the session or sometime during it i'll draw a couple of tarot cards off of my uh, writer way traditional tarot deck with the question of what were mom and dad like when this person was born or when they were pregnant with them or them and it's like <laughs> on the money every time <laughs> on the, and yeah. I say on the money because, uh, in a, in a recent session, as an example, the reason why the parents weren't fully invested in like, like being energetically there for this individual as a baby was because they were like super focused on money and material gain and all that to the level of stressing themselves out over it, overworking over it and et cetera, which ended up being like a family generational pattern that went back multiple generations and that shows up in the biofield too, which is interesting. There's like a specific zone called the ancestral river where if I get like a strong hit off of it and it won't move. And <laughs> I usually know like, Oh, this is an ancestral river thing. So hmm. the, the tarot cards kind of gave me a clue about that situation. Cause when I drew them, it was a reversed ACE of pentacles and a reversed hierophant. Hierophant is a Taurus card. So, you know, in context with the other one, it really makes a, a lot of sense that maybe the, the assessment would be something to do with money because the pentacles in the earth element are all about money. So hmm. that's something people can do. It can sound like you have to do that with clients and with any energy medicine practice, you actually could incorporate divinatory tools like that to help you with the uh, figuring out specific details and yeah it's re it's really works it's a hundred percent of the time when i have used tarot cards like that the assessment was accurate hundred percent of the time now the yeah. question might come up like how do i know what the tarot cards mean or 
with something like the Hierophant, there's so many possible meanings. Yeah. And your intuition is a good guide for all that. But I also really like a, there's an ebook called Path of the Fool by Michael Tessarion. Yeah. And the whole, it's just the meanings of the cards of the major and minor arcana, but in a, like a very nicely organized list of possibilities where, you know, it's like the full range of possibilities that are very specific and situational. So you look at that and you're like, oh, it's not going to mean all of these things, but you're, that's where your intuition can kind of give you a hit. You look at the list of possibilities and you're like, oh, I think it's that. And then, yeah, you go from there. Yeah, dude. And I'm always trying to like, <clears throat> like imagine ways that this leads back to, to other sectors of maybe the population or whoever, or, um, people's experiences and uses for it. It's like, like, where is this useful? Like, and, and a funny, and a funny, uh, version is, is like that movie, the men who stare at goats <laughs> where I could almost picture Cause, cause this stuff for, for people that aren't, that are maybe skeptical or on the fence about this, this stuff is real. I can't fully explain why or how, except, you know, waveform mechanics and, um, you know, chance can explain how and why this stuff is what it is and what it works. Some people are like, it's demons giving you this power and insight. And I'm like, they're real if you think they are, but this stuff is like the soup. I'll that just we're say, in. I ask, I ask God to, to run the show every time I do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, before yeah. we get in and with them and everything. So yeah, these things go back a long time and they've been used by wicked people. They've been used by people with good intentions. And, um, and that's, that's, you know, that's just the way the whole Hollywood is. and religious narrative of like God versus Satan and good guy versus bad guy is also a problem because mm -hmm. in real life, nobody is all the way good and nobody is all the way evil. So yeah. that entire paradigm kind of falls apart when, when confronted with the truth. Yeah. And then, you know, Christians do this all the time and, and like, I'm, I'm Christian adjacent or a Christian. It's just the, the word itself is none of them really know what it means or like where it comes from. And the or, word Christian is actually a corruption of yeah. the original word, exactly. but I'll let you finish your point and I can explain that if you want. Well, like, so basically just fundamentally, like how is this thing useful? And I was getting on the joke about the, uh, the men who stare at goats in a military aspect, having this like hippie, like long hair braid dude go in and they're trying to interrogate somebody. <laughs> you could just like pull some tarot cards, read his biofield, and you'd know a lot about the guy, you know, but on a more, you know, non-combat related version of that, knowing yourself, knowing your children can be really helpful. Um, I have a teenage daughter. She's 19. I had her when I was uh, 18. And, um, you know, eventually, you know, she's, I, I'm totally like fine with her intuition saying yes or no, whether she wants to participate in, in various readings or different things. But, um, and we haven't had any like real drama between me and her, but for other parents with teenagers where there is like a lot of butting heads, drama, internal strife, strife between marriage partners or boyfriend, girlfriend, um, you're not outsourcing this from God. You're taking this to God with the tools that I believe that he allowed to exist and put here for us to use in order to navigate relationships, problems ourselves and to get get to know ourselves better, I think with the intention of being able to get to know the Father or God better, that's the way I look at it. And it's not, it's like attention or intention and attention 
at the end of the day is what matters. I love it, man. There's so much there we could talk about, but mm. my, my current understanding of like why tools like biofield tuning are actually effective, especially weird that it works remotely, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do like almost all my sessions are remote, really including cool. the one we did. So how does that work? Well, I think even the most sort of dogmatic and close-minded Christian would agree that we were granted the divine spark, right? It says mm -hmm. in, in Genesis, God breathed into the nostrils of the man to give him life. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really fascinating and misunderstood idea. Like in the new age, and I myself have been guilty of this in, earlier in life of getting confused on this, on this point. You know, like a lot of the new age, they'll be like, you are God. I am God. We are God. <laughs> but right. I don't see, I don't really want to take responsibility for everything everywhere all at once <laughs> now. In fact, yeah. like that, that sort of new age mindset and uh, psychedelics will sort of make you feel that way too. And can mm -hmm. the God complex. It, it sucks actually, because if you start to really internalize that, then uh, everything just, it makes things scary, you know, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. It makes things scary. And like, uh, anyway, I, I won't labor, belabor on that subject. Uh, uh, suffice to say that divine spark that is within all of us. I think that it's the spirit that animates our body vessel. That is God mm -hmm. rather than we ourselves as our ego self is as being God. And why I really think that is because first of all, the, the, my body is what tells me everything I need to know when I'm doing divinatory work or, or tuning energy work for people. Like I have a whole system of communicating with my body that kind of developed organically, but now it is extremely 100% reliable. <laughs> nice. And yeah, like I get, I, I get certain feelings and sensations in my head and in my ears whenever I'm getting like a hit or a clue on something. So it's kind of like water. You could say that there's water in your body and then there's water in this cup and then there's water in the ocean and there's water in the clouds. But really, when you think about it, is there actually any separation between the waters in any one vessel and any of the water elsewhere? I mean, we're, we're in Not water really. right now. The air has water yeah. in it. So in the same way, I think that the animating spirit that brings life to all things and is your, you know, your life force energy, it's also what is causing the wind to blow and everything like that. I think that it's as inseparable as water in the sense that the life force energy animating you and animating me is all one ocean of life force energy and that as a yeah. totality you could call god but if that is true and there's no separation between the animating force or spirit of any two people then that would explain in my opinion why you're able to do energy work that actually benefits people and you can you know you're, you're shown things or you know things and actual results take place despite being vast distances apart from each other, yet it's all instantaneous, right? Yeah. I think that that's what it is. I think that the divine spark granted us is, is literally God. <laughs> like, I don't see how anyone could have any kind of like theological gripe with that. I'm saying that the reason why you're alive is God. 
<laughs> like the thing Here, that makes you alive. You know right? what you said, son, uh, about the body and the way that you have these like signals in your body that you've learned to read. Um, like the old school Christian in me that that like I'm still aware of it, and and I'm and I'm learning. It's kind of a cool experience where I'm like hearing what you say and I'm open to it. And then the old school Christian is like, but this is what they would say. And I'm like, interesting. How is that? Why is that such a stumbling block for them? Because they teach you that the body is fallen, that your flesh is wicked, that basically they're, it's really damaging. Like the way I look, I look at it's it now, retarded. it's like your flesh is, is totally sinful. Everything from the flesh is bad. And that's maybe not linked, like actually true when you read the scripture, but that's how it's interpreted and that's how it's taught. So every desire of the flesh is a bad thing. So that's a huge hindrance from people learning one of the most for my life. And I think for most people in this era we're in is learning to, to feel and interpret these things in your body and learn what your body is telling you. Like there's innate wisdom there because it is sitting in this water soup, energy spark of life that, that you're talking about. So I hope that people can like listen to this and hear it because they, they all have these experiences. Everybody, once I peel back the layers and talk to them enough, they all have an experience of, I felt something and it, and it made me do this. And it actually was a good thing. You know, it saved me from that. Um, my dad talks about it all the time. He's like old school Catholic. Um, he's my dad's like 83 and, um, he tells me all the time when he was in the air force in Panama or Vietnam, there's a few times where one of his friends in particular, like air force, isn't a big, uh, uh, company basically like the army is like the biggest air force is pretty small. So, you know, it's, it's interesting when you meet somebody and then you see them again somewhere else and you were thought about, or you felt that they were going to show up the minute that they showed up before you even knew that they landed like my dad has had that experience and um, you know, he's not into like biofield tuning or anything. He's just a regular dude, but he's had these instincts in his body and it shot up to his mind, a vision of his friend walking in the door. And then he turns around and there's his friend walking in the door who he hadn't seen in like seven years. So this stuff happens all the time. If people will just sit quiet and listen. And to me, that's what the Holy spirit is. It's like that water you were just describing to me. That's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, man. <laughs> what you're talking about, though, that whole like the body, the flesh, all these things are, mm. are physical, the fallen world. It is the most ridiculous ideology. But it, it's like, there's so much I could say about this, but. Yeah, it's, it's a big swamp. Talk about swamps. Well, Dude. it's funny because it's like the new age Gnosticism thing. You know, the world is created by an evil demiurge. It's a prison for our souls. It's a big loose farm. Right. It's basically the same as a lot of a lot of mainstream Christianity's belief about this place, too. Shockingly it's, so. Yeah. Shockingly so. And what's funny is like the ideologies that this derives from, this this interpretation of scriptures, I'll even say, not necessarily everyone's interpretation. It is straight out of the pagan world. And I, I'm not saying pagan in a derogatory sense. Uh, Reverend Robert Taylor, the, uh, <laughs> the guy from the, the guy who was a priest, and I think he was a priest, maybe he was Protestant, but he, he started to do the research of like, where, 
you know, what's the history of Christianity? He wanted to sort of maybe prove it out, but mm -hmm. found that <laughs> it it has no authentic, unique roots and it comes from much older stuff. And he says the and Dylan says this quote all the time. He Dylan Sicosio, friend of mine. Uh, he says Christianity and paganism are as different as six and half a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a funny quote. So there's we're talking about divination, which a lot of Christians see as evil, right? Yeah. But what did the um, what do they call what do they call the leaders of the church? Depends on which church, the elders maybe or fathers, right? Fathers, yeah, yeah. Almost any church, they'll say father, whoever. I mean, sometimes it's become brother, but the word father. So in uh, Latin, that's patere, and in Sanskrit, the Hindu language is pitar or pitar pitar <laughs> sounds a lot sounds familiar then in hebrew the word ptr pet resh i'm sorry pet tav resh which is the same exact vowel or a consonant as peter right uh you know and you could even consider when you're doing philology or, or researching words that the consonants are the bones but the vowels are just the filling and you can put different filling in there and you have the same thing mm. so anyway this ptr in hebrew mean which is usually transliterated as patar it means to interpret like to interpret dreams like a prophet or a seer <laughs> yeah and that's you know this you know who who else had this really really deranged view of human life and the body and all that were the druids and oh, really? that's not a popular opinion because now druids are like cool cool forest loving shape-shifting freedom fighters and stuff because of video games using druid as a name or D, &D version of druids and all that but the original druids they would find an oak tree they looked for one that had arms that were horizontally like a crossbar like yeah. a, so they were looking for an oak tree that looked like a cross and <laughs> that cross if they didn't find it they would put a, a bar of wood across it so that it would be a cross and anyway they would write on <laughs> on the bark they would write the word hesus h-e-s-u-s -S. does that sound familiar hesus yeah <laughs> it's one of their savior gods Tarmus on another branch, and then the middle would be Bellinus. And then above, um, by all those words, they put Thou, which is the name for like the top god. Anyway, thou. is that like Thou, like the Quakers? Yeah. yeah. And you actually see this in, in many languages. The word for like the uh, is also like uh, as in the bag or the building, right? Hmm. It would also be the same word or close to the same word as God. Like, you know, in, in Spanish, the word the is L. Well, mm -hmm. L is a name for God, yeah. right? So yeah. you see that a lot, but which is interesting. But anyway, they would find, they would do their whole like grove, outdoor cathedral thing with this tree that's across and they would do sacrifices there, man. <laughs> they like, they act, like human absolutely, or? you know, when you see Jesus with two uh, thieves being crucified with them. Mm -hmm. That's straight out of Druidism. The Druids had like they, the first people they would look for to do human sacrifices would be anyone who had committed a crime. But yeah. then if, <laughs> and now think about Jesus, when I say this, 
I mean, he's us, uh, same thing. <laughs> they would, they would, uh, if they didn't have like criminals or if they had someone that they could use for this, that fit the description, they really liked people who were extremely well loved and good people. They, those were the best sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, the word. I always wondered why that, where the cross came from with the Romans and all that. Cause it wasn't Romans. Like it was something else, but. Oh man, the cross goes back really far. I, no one knows the original maybe origin of it, but that's a side weave. I'll, I'll just finish out yeah. talking about the Druids to say that the, uh, the Latin name for the Druids were the Vates, which is fascinating because Vates were the prophets or seers and all that. But V, the letter V is a tricky one between languages. You might see it switch from V to B, but you also might see it shift from V to uh, like, because B is so easily interchanged with P or, and then P is so easily interchanged with PH, like the F sound. Hmm. So Vates is basically the same word as uh, fates, like F-A-T-E-S. And then because of the way that people will, you know, think about how like a, a New Englander says their A's comes out kind of like an R, like, like there's an R in it. Mm. British people are, are extremely infamous for that too. So like (laughs) Tarmus is basically the same word as Temis or Tamis. And Tamis is one of the like dying and resurrecting fertility springtime gods of Mesopotamia. Tarmus being one of the names of that they would put on the crosses, the Druids would. So anyway, this word Vates, which is what the, Latin's called the Druids, is just a very slight hop, skip, and a jump over to Patar or Pateres, the fathers. And I think that it's the same system that's been, you know, occulted the whole time. And probably the reason why when the Roman Empire decided uh, to do all of the occulting of the previously existing pagan system and call it all their own to the point where they're like, you know, appropriating buildings and temples that were already there. And then just saying, actually, it means this now, right? Right. (laughs) I think it's because it was like an authority move. You know, a a lot of the history of the, that is accepted as ancient history of the world is very easily debunked, but it's required for this mosaic history thing to exist. Yeah. Mosaic history being absolutely the foundation of a lot of people's worldview, <laughs> especially in the Abrahamic religions. Yet, you know, we have some of the oldest written histories of the world that are accepted by the mainstream as being that, the oldest histories of the world, like Herodotus, who wrote the book on history. He's called the father of history, yet he never mentions Moses or the parting of the Red Sea or the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem or... You know, I could go on and on and name things from Mosaic history that he never mentions. Or why does the book of Exodus not mention the pyramids in Egypt? You know, there's a lot of problems with Mosaic history, but you have to have it in place as it is for the like passing of the baton of authority in the various monarchies that became later governments and for the Vatican, it goes on and on. I wonder if they had a... Like like what you just mentioned about the uh, the pyramids in Egypt, I, I uh, 
I don't know if you heard Narco Longbow or Longo Longbow um, on Owen's stream. And I've heard some of this stuff from people before, but that was like super interesting. This idea that um, the Bible took place, Bible stories took place in North America and Europe, potentially. I think, um, who is it that was talking about that, about uh, France, how a lot of like uh, Pontius Pilate is buried in France, Mary Magdalene is buried in France, like all these characters from the New Testament are actually buried in France, like with tombs and story stories like from the tribes like or from the towns like mary magdalene had um this festival in some small town in france and i found it weird weirdly by researching diatomes like diatomaceous earth and i found this like spiky like dragon um character drawing from this festival in france that had uh this festival to mary magdalene because the story was she came over there and tamed this dragon there's the whole thing mary and the dragon and then they killed the dragon and celebrated it and i could look up the name of the town but um yeah, yeah that's that comes from a dispute in the mythos of like who's crushing the head of the serpent under their heel is mm -hmm. it the son or is it the mother and it gets confusing because the mother and the son are actually the same being it's a three in one thing mm. uh probably those tombs you're referring to, I haven't looked into those specifically, but usually what goes on is there's some pre-existing mythos revolving around the fertility goddess and her uh, son, who is also her lover, who dies and is resurrected or is sacrificed and resurrects. And they'll usually just attribute that to whatever the current popular mythos is. And it's always been that way. Kind of like, you know, you, you build on top of the city that was, that came before and that's now under neath the ground mm. and uh, as far as like i did hear owen talking to dr longo i'm i'm gonna talk to him myself soon cool and i like i really liked that episode uh i think i <laughs> might be an interesting host for him because i'll probably push back against some of the claims in sure others i really like i'm i'm mostly excited about all of the old world florida architecture and uh, the tree thing is really cool, things though. by the mainstream and also the stuff about the Gulf stream is, is super good gravy, yeah. but, and even about, uh, Finland, I, I have a different take on it all, but yeah, you know, it's just the problem I have is the box saga. Yeah. And the linguistics the is saga. interesting, but it doesn't it just, yeah, but... it comes from one guy <laughs> Yeah, and we're supposed to assume that all that is true. I mean, he right. might got, he might've got some things, right. I'm not saying that it's 0% right, but it's not like a, people treat the box saga like it's a new revelation of a divinely inspired scripture or something when mm -hmm. it's like one guy who was super fruity, is, <laughs> you know, like sucking his own dick and stuff. And yeah. he's somehow the, the prophet that gave us all the truth about the ancient world going back millions of years. Come on, let's, let's be reasonable here, but I'm not saying there's nothing good in it. But I, I will talk to Longo soon, and that ought to be interesting. That's going to be cool. But I think in terms of the whole the Old Testament stories happening in Florida or in the Americas or the New Testament happening in Europe, there's lots of people that have made those claims. But I think that the most likely truth is that the stories are all myth. They've always been a myth. And, you know, <laughs> that I... The fact that, that you can find the same fingerprints, keys, etymology, and language uh, 
going back as far as we have stories, period, including South America and Mexico and yeah. the the New World, as it was called, also in Mesopotamia, also in Asia, also in India. Like, it seems definitely the case that somebody took this mythos around the world, but if if it was ever anything but allegory, what it is based on, if it has any his, historicity at all, is so far gone in the obscure... Uh, you know, obscurity of the far distant past. It's pointless to try to say this is that. And that is that, you know, yeah, we're, we're dealing we're not, with mythology and we ought to just yeah. leave it in the literary tradition rather than try to, because as soon as we start saying, this is definitely that, and this is the historical truth of it. And then now we have a new reason to be divided and fight amongst each other. And I'm the special boy who knows, and it's super dumb. I, I'd rather just keep it in the, realm of literary analysis yeah. <laughs> where it, where it all belongs, like all scriptures. Yeah. I think there's like, there's layers of stuff going on. Like I'm on board with, with the, with the mythology side, but I also see because of my own life and other, and other people's stories where it's like mythology plays itself out in your lives. Um, sort of like going back to that, that water that we're all in, that we're all connected to. It's like this energy that, that pushes and breathes life and like, we're playing out that energy and, you know, manifest in physical form. Um, but like w one thing to like set all that stuff aside, cause like, I like, I like exploring all these different things, but there's, there's like this central vein that I keep coming back to that I'm, I'm still uh, curious about. And I, and I see it like, like I was watching the show Rome, which isn't like a great show, but like, I'm curious about, this idea where they're like, Oh, pray to the God, so-and-so, and then do this for the God. So-and-so I don't, I think for the plebes and for most lower class, they were actually like, Oh, let's pray to God, whatever. But what they're, what they're not telling the people is that like crows uh, from crow triple seven says, these are aspects of nature. And it connects back with like the ideas of the tarot, which some people are turned off by, but you can't, I don't know what that was. But um, it's like this reproducible, like you could look at it scientifically and you could you could find patterns. You could see this um, almost like you can like start seeing if you could feel Braille and then all of a sudden just be able to see what it's saying. It's poking through from all these different directions. You know, we've got astrology. We've got the sky clock, which is astrology, but I like to call it sky clock because <laughs> it's just... Uh, it's so precise and it's so divinely tuned for everyone's lives. And when you really look at it and not just look at the newspaper horoscope and you actually look at what it means, the patterns of it throughout history and time, it's all over the Bible. There's sky clock, there's astrology stuff written all the way through the Bible. And your average Christian will talk about stuff in revelation as they're, you know, getting really excited about the end of the world <laughs> and I'm like, dude, all of revelation is showing you celestial signs. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, where it tells you what these things were created for. They're created to tell us this, the signs and seasons. And that to me is Canst one of the Canst thou biggest... bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose yes. the bands of Orion? Yes. <laughs> Canst thou lead forth the Maserat in their season? Yes. Or canst thou great. guide the bear with her sons? That's exactly. from Job. Yeah, bears in the sun. That's the. Uh, By the way, Job, the book of Job. If you remember, I said B and V are interchangeable. Job is 
Jove? Yeah. Oh, that's the name for Jupiter or Jehovah or, you know, et cetera, yeah. Zeus. Yeah, these patterns, they they come out from all these different places. And, um, you know, nobody has to do anything. Every, you know, you can just bury your head in the sand and ignore it and pretend like, you know, life just happens to you. Why, oh, why am I in this predicament? <laughs> or you can look at what tools we have available and you'll understand what it is and you'll start to grow. And that's, I believe, probably the central point of why we're here, I think, is to grow and experience. It can be a loose farm hell prison on earth if you want it to be, or it can literally be us, those of us that could see and want to move forward. We can just go forth, I believe, and create um, anything we really, truly want to create. Yeah, with within reason. I, I don't think that I could create a life where I'm a like an Asian woman. <laughs> I mean, you know, we have the technology. You can cut your dick off today. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to keep my original pronouns. Exactly. No, but yeah. You know, my, re- my thoughts on astrology. I love researching astrology. It's a huge component of my show. I'm not so much into like fortune telling yeah. in that, in the sense of like the, the gypsy, oh, you, I see death in your future and all that. Actually, I remember... I knew a guy a long time ago who was terrified of tarot and things like that because he had got his cards read w- with a friend by like a gyp- an actual like straight up gypsy. And they're like, you are going to die. And then that guy died. <laughs> and mm. so he's like, it's all evil. He should put a curse on us. Anyway, I don't think that you really need astrology to tell you what's going to happen. No. We know that right now it's April and it's going to keep getting warmer Right. But in terms of like the ancient world, astrology would have been a really, really useful tool to have encoded allegorical stories about what happens in nature at certain times of the year when reckoning the year was also a lot harder because, you know, we didn't have the data sets that we have now or the tools that we have now. So it's like great to have a story for every part of the sky. And as long as you sort of, you know, that cross of north, south, east, west, you have an idea of what part of the story you're looking at. And then that's great again for navigation, seafaring. And that's where a lot of this comes from and how it got spread around the world is because the people that spread the stories and the sky clock were using it so that they could navigate. And to me, that makes total sense, but you don't need it for telling your own future. I don't recommend looking at it that way, but I do love how if you study astrology, and I like I I tend to be a little more like just the retrospective view with this with my life and with astrology. I'll, I'll see that a certain transit just happened, and I'll be like, "Oh wow, <laughs> uh, something! I just got a bunch of money unexpectedly out of nowhere, and whoa, that perfectly fits with the what Jupiter was just doing, or mm. you know what Venus was just doing, or something like that." So it's a really cool tool to make you to help you feel like in sync with the whole world and with all of nature and to show you how connected everything is that there's no such thing as chance or coincidence or accident. And, uh, you know, other than that, no one needs astrology, especially, (laughs) especially not to the level that it kind of gets, uh, you know, I see why some people are turned off by it is what I mean. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. there, there are those who get as obsessed as possible with astrology and like, everything is the fault of Pluto or, 
you know, they, they just don't like Scorpios. So as soon as you find out someone's a Scorpio, you're not going to be their friend or that's me. I don't like Scorpios that much, but (laughs) (laughs) just kidding. Uh, yeah, I think it's a really, really great study though. It shows you the clockwork connectivity of everything in this creation makes it quite obvious that this is some kind of divinely inspired creation. And, you know, that's sort of my take on it. You, you could take it or leave it. People don't have to use astrology. No one's making you, but it is a really good way to understand or to get like, to help yourself out of a more materialist or like nihilistic type of view Yeah. that obviously there's purpose. And I don't really even need there to be much more purpose to life than life. Like to me, it does kind of seem that way. Like maybe the, the meaning of life or the reason for life is so that we can exist. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm glad I exist. I love existing. I want to keep existing. I would like other people to have the opportunity to keep existing. I don't think there's actually a choice. I think that existence is, will continue to exist regardless of what anybody thinks or does. So uh, yeah. I'm just going with it. You know, like you it. say that the thing that people can flip around though in their own head is, especially when, when you get the, the knowledge of like the biofield anatomy that everything that goes on in your body is a message from your inner self, uh, that that actually applies. You know, a big thing that really helped me was I started interpreting the events of my life the way you would interpret a dream. And it Mm -hmm. turns out that it is the exact same thing, (laughs) that what happens to you in your waking life has the symbolic relevance as anything that you would interpret out of your own dreams. Yeah. So, you know, just in the same way that, uh, an injury to a certain part of your body carries a certain message with it. So does every external event that goes on uh, and every chance meeting or every conflict, they all carry some kind of meaning reflecting your inner state back to yourself. So yeah, life isn't something that's happening to you. You're happening to it. And that's sort of like, you really want to be in that place where you feel that way about life that your inner world is directing the outer world rather than the outer world shaping your inner yeah, world. Exactly. In the latter posture, even if you don't realize it, you are a victim. If if life is happening to you, you're either a victim it's, or uh, you're or you're receiving welfare. <laughs> yeah, because people people that like you know we we you know the uh, the astrology types that that may be prone to victim status versus victor uh, mindset. It's the same thing. Most as, astrology types don't get too victim-y about it, though, I would say. Most people that go deep into astrology are pretty... There's a they, lot they, of... They get a lot of self-work done. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, good guidance out there about how this tool is used, where it's showing you potentials. It's showing you, you know, it's about learning and growing and, like, becoming more aware. Yeah. So, and my, then also uh, my, don't make it an idol. Like, my last guest talked about that. And I'm like, yeah, that's... I never would even think like that. Like, I'm going to make it an idol or or I'm going to base my life off of this but i guess there might be people who are like oh yeah i'm gonna check this out and then pretty soon they're like <laughs> i don't know sacrificing cats under a ash tree i don't know that's what that's what a lot of like hardcore churchy and christians don't realize is they're like they're about half an inch removed from sacrifice cults <laughs> and the only, thing, yeah. the only difference is that they're they're <laughs> considering the the bread and wine to be the sacrifice and no i literally drink blood. blood every like dude <laughs> yeah you know you know who came up with that whole bread and wine was the buddhists that's their thing because okay. they thought that it was wrong to harm living creatures and 
wrong to eat meat and stuff like that. They're the original militant vegans. <laughs> so their sacrifices were of bread and wine. And, uh, and we still have, we still see that going on today. I mean, back again, back to that idea of like the Vates, the fathers, the diviners, the word, what language is it in? I think it's a Celtic word. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's Chaldean. So the Chaldean word, it, it would be spelled bet dalet aleph. So like B-D-A. It, Chaldean is basically the same as he, ancient Hebrew and Phine, same alphabet as the Phoenician, which it turns out is a, just a variation on the same alphabet that the ancient Greeks had and that the ancient Irish Celtic peoples had or the Gauls, you would maybe call them. Anyway, this BDA, uh, <laughs> that's basically the same as Buddha, that this word meaning like a diviner, prophet, or seer, it's the same word as Buddha. Hmm. And it's probably why they called him that, huh? Yeah. Because <laughs> it wasn't his real name, right? It was like something. Yeah. Well, yeah. Buddha has about a, a thousand names. So hmm. you go through the list of names of Buddha and it gets really revealing actually and shows you that everything is connected and that you know buddhism is one of the oldest versions of whatever uh we're calling the universal wisdom tradition but yeah i don't know where i was going with that i'll let you i'll let you steer me dude okay yes so i wanted to jump in with that um like another thing that i've learned about the way that i look at astrology it's like when i was doing my handyman business um, I got a little carried away to be fair. And I would buy tools to do jobs that I didn't know that I could do, <laughs> but I have a lot of confidence and I'm like, I'll figure it out and I could do it, but I couldn't do it without the tool. And so I was just That's continually cl clutch by the way, what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> Get the tools and you'll figure it out. Exactly. And, and that's how I look at a lot of these things. And I have like this, like no fear on, on all this stuff. Like, like I grew up, you know, with, with the Christian upbringing that, you know, non-denominational, but like, I, I, I know it all. I read the Bible, you know, fervently as a young kid of my own accord, not with someone else trying to make me do it. Cause I was really curious about the knowledge me and too, man. that was in it. Yeah. And there's some really good, there's tons of really good, interesting insights, but when you can expand and not expand, like, um, like bringing in things that are false and trying to couple it to things that are true. It's like just seeing more of the truth and more of what it's there for. It's not just there so that you can go to, you know, Harvest Baptist church on the corner and give 10 bucks a month to the preacher. Like there is so much more to all of this way more than I ever was explained or told. And it's so helpful. Like, like, like speaking of tools and tool belts, um, my wife and I were going through, a, uh, I mean, we're still, we're okay. So my wife and I were separated. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's a, a good thing. And that's because it's like, whatever we had to learn, I feel like has run its course. And I learned so much. I, I was exposed to so many different methods and modes of like understanding myself and understanding her and kind of looking at the situation. And we had this counselor, this marriage counselor that was a astrologer, this older guy. And, um, it was amazing that he could go in first session after looking at both of our charts and then looking at the charts overlaid and read so much into us accurately to help us understand the dynamic. 
and present it to us so that we can then work with it and start and it and it affects your choices. So you're confronted with, okay, these are some of your patterns. This is um written in the chart. It's pretty obvious to me, like that she's, you know, holding on to this emotional thing, and I'm holding on to this emotional thing, and I need to process it. But I wasn't aware of it. And and she wasn't aware of it. And it's just really, really helpful. Like when you really are trying to get your your marriage in line or trying to figure out the conflict, whatever it is, if you keep having these like this hamster wheel of conflict, there's these tools that have been here for thousands of years that can just be like, oh, that's the problem. And then you're like, holy shit, like we could have saved like a year of conflict if we would have just seen this stuff, you know? So it just goes down to like, what do you have available to you? And are you earnestly seeking the truth? It's really the biggest part for me. You know, if you're seeking the truth in Christianity, I believe like you'll see it, like you'll see that they did divination and it was helpful. Like they did, they cast lots. I mean, they're probably throwing like finger bones or something like who knows, but it says it right there. So you don't need to. Have yeah, man, what you just said is really, really great. It's the perfect way to use astrology. A lot of times when I'm talking about this stuff, it'll sound like maybe I'm anti this or that, you know, mm -hmm. just because priestcraft is the absolute worst scourge upon humanity that's ever risen doesn't pretty mean that, it is pretty doesn't, it doesn't mean yeah it doesn't mean that there weren't it's like i said there's nobody's all good or all bad especially mm -hmm. true for groups of people so there are good priests definitely yeah. that joined it for the right reasons there are good you know then there are bad people in organizations that you would think were good or that they're doing bad things whatever you guys get it yeah. So astrology used in the way you just described or divination as you just described is where the biggest amount of gravy is at. Like my um, wife and I, when we first met and started court, I started courting her. We mm -hmm. had a, my, my court astrologer, her name's, her name's Kaylee Burkana. Okay. Uh, she's actually doing a live stream right now. She does them every Monday. I'll have to catch the replay, but Kaylee Burkana on YouTube it's a great Monday show where she's like does tarot cards for each of the signs and also tells you a little bit about what astrology is happening that week. Really, really cool. It's nice. fun. Anyway, she looked at our charts and she told us about our, you know, where we're compatible and then where, as they call it in astrology, where the squares are at mm -hmm. and squares are where the, like you would say, bad aspects. And that's one thing that a lot of people with astrology really shy away from is they don't want to talk about their bad aspects. They want to be like, Oh, I'm a Leo. I'm the life of the party, but they don't want to talk about like where their, you know, their Mars is squaring with Saturn somewhere or whatever and what that right. means. And that's actually where the most opportunity for growth is at where the bad aspects are. So even calling them bad is kind of uh, you know, <laughs> all things serve good, actually. Opportunities all things serve for God. growth. Yeah. Yeah, even bad, bad is the same word as what I just described. Uh, that root word for Buddha, <laughs> bade. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, God, God is the author of good and evil. And if you're churchian and you can't accept that and you want to say that, no, Satan is the father of lies. Already you've misunderstood where the concept of Satan even came from. Satan means adversary or opposer. It's referring to opposition's in astrology that right now we're in aries 
and the Satan of Aries is Libra because in the wheel of the Zodiac, mm. they're crossed from each other. Yeah. So everybody gets to be Satan sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Oh, how uh, dare you? <laughs> sorry, guys. There's no such thing as Satan. Didn't mean to burst your bubble. I know you really like blaming your masturbation on Satan, but it's, uh, you know, if, if the opposite of Satan is Jehovah and Jehovah is a word that means life or existence, which it is, then the opposite of existence is non-existence, which means Satan does not exist. The end. Let's oh, go. Boom. Let's check. <laughs> let's go. Mate. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's quit blaming our problems on the invisible boogeyman. If you had a hype man, he would be like throwing papers and running around the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, you know, fascinating. You, yeah. you ever feel like there's the demonic problems going on with yourself or with somebody, or like you're in a haunted room or some shit, mm. just tell them what I just said. Just be like, your, your, your boss doesn't exist. You're free to go. Yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. usually demons flee the scene. They go into the light when you tell them that yeah. every time it's super fun. Anyway, this whole idea of squares, bad aspects, like you're talking about with between you and your wife and how the counselor was showing you that they are so awesome to know about because a, it's going to show you things that you're often blind to about yourself. It's going to help you feel more compassion for your partner and not be like, how do you not notice this obvious thing that I can tell you, you know, is going on with you because they have a, a blind spot there themselves. So mm -hmm. now instead of bashing heads over those blind spots or, you know, all that stuff on each other's toes or blaming each other, you're watching each other's back. Yeah. Right? You can help each other. Like they say squares are places where this, this is what I say about squares or, uh, you know, bad aspects in astrology is they can either be a place where you get stuck or they can be something that bonds you. So if you like the key with squares or bad aspects in your own personal chart, or especially in a relationship chart is once you know, they're there, then it's on you to take action. I, I call it taking action on the square. I need a better catchphrase for that, but you totally mm. start taking action on the squares proactively and they become the biggest opportunities to grow and bond and care for each other more. So yeah. like, that's something that this, you know, this it always comes down to me. communication too. Yeah. I'm so grateful for this dude. Like he, um, his name is Glenn, but shout out Glenn. Yeah. He, um, he was showing that like, no matter what relation you, you have, you're going to be paired up with somebody who's going to have things for you to work on. And that's like divinely set up that way because the mission I believe is to make you better, you know, but you have to accept it. You have to willingly take on those tasks. And, um, it's just such a valuable lesson for myself. And then I could have compassion for my wife, even though I was frustrated and everything, but I could see one, like the standard psychology route of difficulties in, in how you were raised and then why, you know, like why you were born into that family. You can, you can even see things like this, like, like, um, you know, for whatever reason, like on the Christian side, God puts you there, you know, well, with astrology, you can kind of see more details about why and how God, you know, what path is there to like learn and grow from it. So it's like, I don't see any separation and, and I don't, I don't, uh, shrink from it at all. Um, I do like people like you and, and my last guest that were like, you know, 
don't make it everything. Don't turn it into an idol. Cause I'm like, you know, I can kind of start getting excited and just be like, fucking everything, do everything with astrology. It's tempting, but like stock trading, I'm really fascinated. Like if you could dial this in, you could probably really own the stock market if you really, really knew what you were doing. But I yeah, haven't seen JP anybody Morgan do it. famously said, millionaires don't use astrology, billionaires do. Oh, dude, I quoted him last stream. I didn't even know it. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that saying and I've repeated it many times. Yeah, but, Graveler's always wanted to dude, keep that knowledge out of the hands of the regular folk. So that goes back to my my original point was this this knowledge is out of your hands. It's in their hands. They're using it all the time. Um and, and imagine with big data collection, yeah. What kind of astrology knowledge is available to the big data farmers that goes so far beyond what we have passed down from the ancients, right? They're yeah. like, oh, there's a roadkill. There's three pieces of roadkill on a one mile stretch of land. That means that the <laughs> that means there's going to be like a, a good price on on rugs in Bolivia. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it's crazy what could happen with big data. Yeah. Yeah. And like just not being a victim, not just letting life happen to you. Um, my wife actually taught me a lot about astrology because she's an astrologer and she's very, very intelligent, um, has high pattern recognition. Um, but what she, she was talking about that with, um, if you're unaware of it, she can look at your chart and just see like exactly like what you did last week and like all this other stuff going back. It's like, you're predictable, extremely predictable. And if you're aware of it, now you have creative insight and choice because every single one of these things, like the quote unquote, bad aspects, the squares, they're opportunities, but there's, there's not an astrology at any one of these quote unquote, bad spots. There's always the, the duality there. So there's, um, a good aspect and a negative aspect or a helpful or a non or a, or an obstacle. And, um, if you're aware, yeah, your biggest challenges are your greatest strengths. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cliche, but it's freaking true, you know, but, um, the, the personal responsibility, I think is what I'm getting at where let's stop just going in the river and just letting it take us wherever let's start to paddle the freaking canoe. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, I love that, man. I'm, I learned from my mom when I was a young child that you always have a choice in everything. And I feel like that maybe was the only thing I ever needed to be parented on. <laughs> I mean, not that they, they were, they parented me on all kinds of things, but if you know that you always have a choice, then it's pretty hard to take the victim posture unless you pretend like you don't. Yeah, exactly, dude. And the, um, the victim stuff that like we talked about that and, and I've, I've, I was on the verge of that realization where I'm like, I think I was taking a bit of a victim posture, finally was able to kick that. And I think it's help help from a lot of the stuff that I never would have touched if I was just stuck in my old, um, you know, Christian upbringing that, that was Especially very with partners, man. It's so yeah. easy to it's so easy to make them the bad guy mm. in your mind and yeah. they're the closest to you. Oh man. <laughs> that's a, Dude. that's a really hard place to be. I feel, I've been there. I feel for people that have been there that they've made the person closest to them. The reason for all 
their own dreams not coming true. It's Huge. uh yeah. Dude, that is such a powerful thing for people to grasp because and and I'm still figuring out, I'm still integrating this, but I had this this amazing journey, you know, going out to California doing uh body work with Eurosimos, learning about somatics, learning how to like listen to my body like we were talking about earlier. Um old military me would have been like that's fucking gay. But like dude, super powerful and it led me to some really deep insights that helped me shed these layers of victim consciousness because i was you know feeling unloved in my relationship feeling like you know you know poor me she's so mean or grumpy or whatever but through somatics and being able to feel and access things in my body through body work which can be painful which i think is helpful the pain is actually a really good teacher sometimes um but i was made to realize that the way that I was perceived being treated was the way that I was treating myself on a deep subconscious level from failures in the past where I was beating myself up. And that was manifesting in my life. Almost like I had a moment where I'm like, dude, if <laughs> is all this like a freaking video game VR thing? Because I know it's not, but I was like, kind of got a little peek behind the curtain where I'm like, man, if I start treating myself better, this will stop. And yeah. And that's so opposite to usually like the whole boot camp mindset of no pain, no gain, not saying pain is bad. Pain is a, like you said, a teacher. And also it is a message. The biggest thing you can do wrong with pain is to ignore it. Yeah. Actually, the more attention you give pain, the less painful it is, but that's interesting. Yeah. What you were just saying is, is so, so crucial, you know, and it's probably was beat into you to a degree that <laughs> uh, to be hard on yourself. Yeah. That was actually, you know, I think we, one thing I learned from tuning people is that we're all way more similar than we are different. And I can fully relate to what you're talking about. Mm. You know, my, uh, my ex was always very harsh and, and mean to me and talked to me like I was an annoying dad, mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, made me so upset. But what I didn't Gosh. realize until later was like, Oh, this is how I feel. That's actually how I feel about myself, mm. you know, or I did back then. So yeah. it's uh it's super, super helpful to come to that understanding and then start putting it into practice where, Oh, if I don't like how the people close to me are talking to me, I should work on how I talk to myself. <laughs> I should work on my self-talk and, and, you know, it's sort oh, of treated yeah. like, especially for, especially for men, but women fall into this just as often and just as easily probably, but that like, you need to motivate yourself with beratement. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the best uh, at the point where I started doing really, really well and have been on a, a, a huge nonstop flow state ever since I realized that I'd made it when my inner voice, like that inner dialogue where sometimes just thoughts come into your head unbidden used to be like, Oh, you're so stupid. Or like, wow, you're an idiot for doing this or whatever. And then my mental voice at one point shifted to being like a cheerleader. And I would nice. literally, I would literally like hear this voice in my head, like chance is crushing right now. Chance is doing great. <laughs> and I, love like, it. I was like, sweet. I encouraged those thoughts. And it's not like I just sit there and, pump myself up with uh flattery or anything but the the fact that my inner 
inner un, unbidden dialogue would be supportive and positive. Mm -hmm. To me, that was like the moment when I realized the moment I'd, I definitely turned the corner and abundance in, in life and every all needs met easily and having extra and not having nice. to do shit I don't like anymore just because I thought I needed to to survive. All that stuff will shift and go away and be replaced with what you actually truly want when you start talking to yourself like you already have it. <laughs> like, because you do, you know, we are, we, we have the gift of life. We have all the potential in every moment to be as fulfilled as possible. And that's really what the opposite of, frustra of frustration is. The opposite of frustration is satisfaction. And that's why gratitude practices are so clutch. Like if you can actually invoke the feeling of being grateful in your body or the feeling of satisfaction with say, you get so in the habit of saying thanks over your food or blessing your food that before you even say the prayer or the, the blessing, you feel the sensation of like a pleasurable feeling in your body, like a tingle excitement and like satisfied feeling before you even start to eat, then you know you're doing the, then you know you've got your sacral chakra energy in a good place that you can, before you even say the words, you feel the feelings that the words would represent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like this with Qigong too, that if you don't feel the energy in, in your body and through your meridians when you're doing the movements, then it, it really can help to imagine what it would feel like. <laughs> <laughs> and then start imagining, well, what should it feel like? Imagine the feeling of energy going through my arms or an energy ball between my hands. And then before you know it, you're no longer pretending or imagining. You just feel it. Yeah. Like our body actually works that way that sometimes we need to develop the language that we want to speak to it with. And then, you know, through the practice, eventually then it will start responding with the language that we p programmed it with in the terms of like fake it till you make it that actually works ex exceptionally well with bodies and with energy that like energy practices that gratitude can be empty words when you first start doing it when you first start blessing the food it's sort of like a maybe a mechanical thing but you can get to the point where you don't even really need to say grace to feel thanks and then like in my opinion that's where you've really you've really made it made a difference for yourself at that point dude that's super on the money on point straight down the center man there's so many lessons in there that I, like if you made it this far through this episode like this is where the real stuff is at this is like i believe i'll be the central like beam the laser beam taking you on to your journey and destination that you already like you are already on you already want it in your, your heart, even if you're not conscious of it, but the more you can connect to that part, which is another thing that I, that I kind of had umbrage with Christianity was where they talk about how evil or deceitful the heart is. I'm like, the heart is the seat of, of God in your being. It's where you commune with them. And when you, when chance is talking about feeling this gratitude, you're feeling it in that center, you know, in your personal Holy of Holies, you know, to take a metaphor and, that's where all of this stuff is, is created. When I went uh, through the military stuff that I, that I was in, I felt it and I saw myself because I wanted it so badly 
to pass like the special forces selection program and was you were in the special boys selection program i went to special boy class yeah <laughs> and i felt it for like i think it took me like a year I, I went through selection one time didn't pass still really wanted it took like i think almost two years to go back and that whole two-year time period of like all i thought about felt was like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this it would be so awesome to do some crazy adventure you know and then that swept me along so far that like when i finally went i had a broken foot because i trained way too hard and i started day one with a broken like a fractured second metatarsal which is like one of the bones on your feet in the middle here super painful way to go right through. foot wasn't it left foot was the first one what was the left foot wait no you're right right foot yeah, left foot fractured at some point during the course. I came out with two fractured feet, but it started with my right foot. How'd you know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you were dealing with uh, trying to overcome a particularly gnarly obstacle to get uh, where you wanted to be. The right foot is usually about, you know, challenges on our path. Dude, see what I'm talking about? See how useful this stuff is? <laughs> yeah, I had, a, <laughs> I had a right foot thing a couple months back where I was uh, playing fetch with the dogs and I threw a ball and then I tried to like chase down the ball before the dog could get to it. And I was going to kick the ball to kick it away from the dog because he was lunging for it. Mm. And I accidentally kicked the dog in the head. Oh no. <laughs> and I like bruised my foot pretty bad. And I couldn't exactly figure out like, I love the path I'm on. Why is my right foot taking a hit right here? What's up? And then Actually, Eileen heard me on a heard me do a podcast with Alex Zek where I talked about that story. And in the podcast, I had referred to how like, wow, Alex podcast, the way forward is huge. He's doing really well. You know, I'm my show's kind of small, but everything's all right. But you know, compared to his, he's really doing great. And Eileen's like, you're kicking yourself <laughs> for not being as far along in your path as Alec is. And your dog representing you, you're kicking your dog over it. You know, you're kicking yourself over it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. And then, you know, if you know, people are probably, if they're not super familiar with the biofield anatomy, maybe a little lost in the sauce on it, but it's like, we have an energy field. It's mm. a six feet bubble space around us in all directions, roughly. And depending on where there is stuck energy in that field that represents beliefs or about ourselves or expectations about life that are holding back some of our energy from us. And when we get an injury based on where that is on the axis of up, down, left, right, forward, backwards, <laughs> um, like for example, a guy that I did a tuning with, he had a, a lot of stuck energy in the neck to the point where he had this sort of growth goiter thing going on in his neck. And he hadn't put two and two together that when he was like, I don't know, I think he was like nine or something. When he was young, he got hit by a car and broke some vertebrae in his neck. And so sometimes we might heal the physical injury, but the energetic trauma is still hanging out. And then something else will happen to the body there later relating to it. But anyway, I wanted to, uh, talk, you, you brought up the heart and I wanted to give a little, you know, on the fly analysis of the word heart, because mm -hmm. I've been thinking about the whole H to C or CH interchangeability lately. Another letter interchangeability is T and D. It's super common. Like I, I live in Dalit, Dalit. Yeah, it's in Hebrew, right? 
Yeah, and I, I live in yeah. Southwest Missouri. So in, in Southwest Missouri, uh, people do this all the time or in further south even more. But like, instead of saying ruined with a D at the end, they'll say ruined. You mm. ruined it, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> this type of stuff isn't just because some alphabets have different letters but and not others, but because people actually change the way that things are pronounced based on where they live and how people talk there. So if you do the interchangeability of H to C and the T to a D, then heart becomes, what does heart become? It becomes card, right? Mm, and what do yeah. they, what is, what do they call exercise that gets your heart rate up? Cardio. Oh, cardio. <laughs> so card and heart are philologically the same word. So card as in like the cardinals of the the church that's a word in the latin that's referring to like a hinge or a gate so that's you know that's the the door that needs to open your heart needs to open for dio god to come in cardio cardio you know and tio in spanish is uncle that's probably not related but hmm tio and dio <laughs> yeah. No, there, there probably is a relation because usually in the mythos, there's like oftentimes uh, an evil uncle <laughs> who mm -hmm. usurps things and like, like think Scar in the Lion King. Maybe that's, that's actually the, yeah, a super Satan. common yeah. pattern in the, the mythology cycles. Yeah. And then the heart and chart came to mind. Oh, and Scar even has car in it. Hey. Uh, and car, nice. a car is like a vehicle. So the heart is the car of the, the divine spark, you know? Nice. And it's, you, it, um, the heart is super amazing. I mean, it never stops. Do you ever just think about your heart and just go like, thank you for never stopping. Oh, man. <laughs> the whole time I've been here, you've been doing this. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's pretty amazing. I, I can't think of anything I haven't stopped doing even for a second. Yeah. Have you seen the, um, the Chestahedron? No. So Frank Chester, which chest. Oh, maybe I have heard perfect. Of so the, the shape chestahedron is if you could imagine like an internal framework that holds up the outside profile of the heart shape, like your actual physical human heart shape, it is this perfect shape called the chestahedron. It's a seven sided, I think it's equilateral. I don't know, something it's amazing. But Frank Chester was this artist that was, um, doing stuff with geometry and discovered this chestahedron and through understanding how the, this shape fit within the heart, he actually started to understand that the heart was not a pump. It was uh, like an energy vortex. So it was like working through implosion, not explosion, which is. Yeah. I think I watched really cool. a, a little doc about that. Maybe it was on Matt Presti's YouTube channel, but the, that's super helpful gravy. Your heart is not, pumping things through, but it's more of like a cavitation suction mm -hmm. type action. Yeah. Do you think that has anything to do with the, um, kind of like the philosophy, the law of attraction type stuff? Cause there's something there. I have some issues with the way that it was presented in the movie, but since your heart is like physically, energetically sucking, pulling things to it. Um, that's kind of how I feel like how my spouse and I ended up together. Cause we were both had these things that needed to be fixed in us and we needed to work on it. And it's like, we definitely like, if you knew my whole story with that, like 
it, we were destined to be together. It felt like, and I think we had to work on these things, but yeah, the whole suction of the heart, pulling things into your life. What do you think about that? I think for sure. There's just something to that. Um, it looks like Rob Edwards had Frank Chester on, by the way. Oh, cool. Rob was a good dude. I just Googled the Chestahedron and he is doing something right with SEO because it came up in the image search. <laughs> nice, nice one, Rob. <laughs> nice. But yeah, well, I think that there's, at least metaphorically, there's something to that. Uh, you know, as someone you were saying, you have left side issues. The left side is about like letting go and also receiving. And mm -hmm. why would those things go hand in hand? It's because if you don't let go of what you already have, then you can't hold on to something new. Mm -hmm. So that's a, I believe that that's totally how it works in life is whenever we let go of stuff that no longer serves us or however you want to put it, then there's an opportunity for something new to show up and it will, you know, that's like a big aspect of you happening to life rather than life happening to you is that yeah. being able to trust that if you if, if you, how would I put this? I think it's Topher that talks about how this is the realm of like where you get what you want. Mm. <laughs> I a hundred percent think that that's accurate, that we actually get whatever, whatever we wish for in some form or another, you are going to get it. So part of that is letting go of wishes that are not bringing you good things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Man, that's, that's a deep, it sounds surface, but it's like, dude, there's something deep there because getting what you want, I've, I've thought about this for years and like going back to the Bible, like we're always taught, well, I had this pastor that sometimes it's a, a punishment to get what you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, or like, you may not even be aware that what you're saying is what you want or what your body or your, your vibe, the way you treat yourself, the way you talk to yourself. Um, I, I'm working with a, with a coach right now, my friend, Arabella. Um, you met her at the, um, at music and sky and I'm learning a lot about this from her. And I think it's, uh, fortuitous that you bring that up. And, and this is kind of like the central thing for her and my work right now, um, is letting go and then allowing, but it's what you said about wanting something. Um, I'm starting to realize, yeah, like a lot of, a lot of times people don't want to own up to this, but a lot of times the shit situations you find yourself in. Uh, you actually kind of wanted it in a way, like you want it to be hard. You want life to be hard because you feel like if you're not working hard, you're not achieving anything and that can kind of trap people. Yeah. Especially see this a lot with people in uh, energy, getting stuck in the left ankle, actually mm -hmm. going back to, you know, I brought up how the environment energetically when someone's born and when they're an infant has such a huge influence on their life later it's because in those formative years up to six or seven years old more so at the beginning and it tapers off as you get up to about seven the your energy field is wide open wide open and you're feeding on the energy of your parents to survive i mean you're literally got a boob in the mouth if you're unless you're unlucky and you're a formula baby <laughs> which that is that causes a lot of issues down the road yeah. energetically as well but if the environment of the home, for example, if like mom and dad are in a lot of conflict, say dad has got anger problems and he's blowing up all the time or threatening mom or threatening siblings, the stress of that environment forms an expectation on the baby that life is supposed to feel that way. 
And so they will bring things like that into their life as they grow up and throughout their life until they resolve the belief that they were unconsciously holding that they're only comfortable when they're under stress. I mean, there's a physiological truth to this. People can be addicted to cortisol mm -hmm. and adrenaline and other stress hormones and, and things. It happens pretty frequently. So in terms of why that shows up in the left ankle, the left ankle has to do with being able to identify the uh, causes or, or things that are causing you stress or fear or anxiety, and then being able to move away from them. So, you know, if you're somebody that's had a lot of, like say the back of your, like the Achilles tendon is sore for you on your left ankle. That would be because you are obscuring from yourself the causes of your stress. Like you won't let yourself identify where the stress is coming from. Or say you kind of more roll your ankle or there's more of a front of the ankle injury, then it's like you are averse to moving away from what it is that's causing you stress. It's kind of like being in quicksand or something. So that that dynamic has a lot of people drawing to themselves situations that reflect that core belief that they're only comfortable when things are scary or tense or there's anxiety, they're addicted to anxiety. But a good way to flip it around, you know, and you can do this even whether or not you have a bad tendency towards the things I just described, is to realize all the emotions that we identify as bad or on like negative or don't want, or we push them away. Like what is emotion? It's a feeling in your body that then you interpret as a, to have a certain meaning. So yeah. with anxiety, the feeling in your body with anxiety, the worst thing in the world you can say is like, I have anxiety and my anxiety doesn't let me do this. Or I have social anxiety, all of that horrible way to paint the picture of who you are. I'll just mm. never say that again. Yeah. <laughs> the feeling of that people label as anxiety turns out, and you know, this is true. If you just think about it, what I'm about to say, the feeling that you label as anxiety is the exact same feeling as being really excited about something. In fact, the word anxious before the modern psychologist got a hold of it, that's actually what anxious meant. <laughs> you know, some old folks will still say like, I'm real anxious for supper. What they mm -hmm. meant is I'm really excited for supper. So it's the same feeling or think about um, the feeling of anger that again, like the scenario I described a moment ago, dad being abusive or angry or uh, threatening or violent to the rest of the family when you're a baby. A lot of times in that scenario, the person will become so averse to the energy of anger that they completely drop all ability to assert themselves whatsoever. They're like, I'm just a chill dude. I'm pretty laid back. You know, I never get mad. What that actually, what that actually means is every time the emotional energy that we correlate to anger comes up in themselves, they stuff it down deep in their heart and they say, don't come out. You can't, we don't feel that. And they don't even know they're doing it. They yeah. don't even know they're doing it. They, they're hiding it from themselves completely. Uh, but what you can do with the anger is realize that if you, <laughs> we all know about bottling up annoyances until eventually the pressure builds up and you explode in like a rage. Obviously that's not good. That's not healthy. But if you can get yourself and tuning is really good for this. If you can get yourself to a zero balance and you have, you're not in debt, like anger debt anymore. 
And then you agree with yourself that when I feel annoyed by something or when I need to assert myself about, I don't want this, you'll actually communicate it in the moment that it happens. And you drop the whole story of, I don't get angry, angry people suck, drop that entirely. Then what will happen is when you actually feel that sensation in your body, because you don't have like a backlog of it and there's not all this pressure, it'll come out like just normal assertiveness or healthy aggressiveness, because we need to be able to be a little aggressive or a little assertive at times. That's why the, that's why the energy of the, those emotions exists. In the same exact way, you can apply what I just said to grief or sadness and realize that it's the exact same energy as joy. <laughs> mm. I know that doesn't sound, very, that might not sound yeah. right at first, but you can't have one without the other. So, you know, if you're feeling really sad, then you can do the same thing and realize, oh, the energy of the sadness I'm feeling, I should go into it and allow it. And, you know, just the same way that putting attention on pain makes it less painful. If you put attention on the sadness or the grief, uh, it'll inevitably lead you to realize what made you feel those feelings. And it'll be like, because of how much joy the person that you miss who died brought you, right? Because of how much happiness you actually have the capacity to feel. That's why you have sort of this empty, hollow feeling mm. of grief going on. So all of the, all, there are no negative emotions. There's just uh, dumb interpretations that restrict the flow of that emotion and cause it to stagnate, build up in pressure and lead to health problems or, you know, bursting the pipes <laughs> one way or the other. Dude, that was so beautifully said, dude. I, uh, I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to that and like <laughs> internalize more of that, dude. Yeah, the anxiety being excitement that's exactly what I'm feeling like a lot right now. Cause I'm starting this new business, uh, the natural art form. And I'm like, I really want it to do well. And when I connect, like we were talking earlier to that, that good feeling, you know, how, how would I want this to end up? And I start picturing, like, if I'm building this big company, what would it look like? And then I get really excited and I can connect to that feeling and feel the gratitude. Um, and then if I've, start feeling like I'm not moving towards it enough, it can start feeling like anxiety, but really I'm excited. I just need to like, I just need to move. I need to take action. I need to, um, sometimes even just sit down and just go back to visualizing how I want it to look like and just get really pumped about it and then go forward and do it. Yeah. You, you nailed it. Whenever, like I've been doing podcasts for a long time now. I don't know six or seven years. Wow. What is it? Yeah. Like over seven years. <laughs> and so you'd think, oh, he doesn't get nervous about it anymore. And you're right. I don't get nervous, but I do have the energy that people would call anxiety before I go on shows sometimes my own show or other people's shows. And what I do with it is I, re I recognize that so attached to that feeling that people would call anxiety is exactly what you just said. I want to do a good job. I hope I do a good job. I really want to do a good job. So if you have that voice running in your head about anything, I want to do a good job. I hope I do a good job. That's because you're being given the gift of energy to do something with it so that you will do a good job. So like 
rather than like, if you sit there with that feeling of, I hope I do a good job, I hope I do a good job and you just let it run and you don't do anything with it. Uh, it can lead you to sort of flub up or have a, you know, a confidence shaking experience. But if instead, like what I do with it is when I feel that way, like, hope I do a good job, hope I do a good job. I translate that into some kind of preparation mm-hmm. and I just do some prepping, prepping or writing out of notes or something that will, that is, you know, related to what I'm feeling the feeling about. I take some action, prep, preparatory action. And then that ends up like carrying whatever the, the show is to a really good place because now I'm even more prepared. And also when you're prepared, you feel more confident, you know, it's not like you're not going to have like crippling self-confidence issues if you prepared well. So like people can take, take this to heart. I hope that whenever you feel that, I hope I do a good job feeling that's bordering on man, is this anxiety? Well, it will be if you don't do anything with that energy, because now that energy didn't get to go where it was meant to go. That energy was coming up. Think of it as a gift so that you can do do a good job like you want. <laughs> do some mm-hmm. prep, you know, channel it into something and then you'll feel great. There will be no performance issues. There will be no confidence issues. You know, you're already doing it. So you get it. Yeah. But it's, yeah, you definitely have to have the, uh, the reminder, you know, this like inspiration and motivation, it doesn't just sit with you and stay all the time. You have to kind of hunt it down and what is it? Zig Ziglar. I love that guy. Yeah. When it comes up, yeah. seize that shit. Exactly. You don't have it for everything. So like think of mm-hmm. it as a gift rather than uh, being bushwhacked by some boogeyman and anxiety demon. Right. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I love that quote from Zig Ziglar. Um, this book, this is like the first self-help book that I ever read when I was leaving North Carolina, coming back here after I left the army. Um, but in his book, uh, better than good, it's a great book. And his, uh, quote about inspiration was you like inspiration doesn't always come to you. Sometimes you have to hunt it down with a club. <laughs> his first name's Hillary. So I get it. What? <laughs> his first name's Hillary. Who Zig? Yeah. Zig. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't either. I just Googled him. His first name's Hillary. Wonder if he's related to Killery. I don't know. I've never, you know, I'm I have to rethink kidding. that a little kidding, bit now, now that, uh, now that I know that a man is named Hillary, I'm like, okay, <laughs> was he one of the one eye club? Well, look, anybody, oh. everybody's <laughs> okay. got gravy. He's probably cool. You know, you got something good out of it. That's cool, very yeah. good. That's really funny though. Cause like, yeah, I didn't know his name was Hillary. It's, you know, you got to razz him. I'll, I'll razz him in the afterlife if, if we if we bump into each other. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And then, you know, I just thought about how people call Hillary Clinton Killery. But, hey, that's an H turning into a CH. Hillary. Kind yeah, of makes we're sense. We're just doing what's natural. We're just doing what's natural. Natural <laughs> AF. Yeah. Natural AF. <laughs> I love it. Oh. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're up on two hours about... And this might be a great, great place to end it, man. But um, man, I feel we that just keep going. You know, no, this feels like a real natural stepping off point, I think. But I'm happy to come yeah. back again anytime. Yeah, this was so helpful, man. Thank you. It gave me a lot of really good stuff to think about. And I always like bouncing the ideas off because like I'm new to a lot of this stuff, um, the tuning. So if people want to check more of that out, definitely pick up that biofield tuning 
book. What is that called again from Eileen? Oh, Tuning the Human Biofield. Let me Tuning pull it off the shelf here. Okay. Yeah. I've actually got it out in my living room on my bookshelf. Haven't read it yet, but I'm going to be pouring into that, I think, because what you did was so spot on and quick. That's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if you're not really trying to learn that method, but you want to know more about how your energy systems work in your body, she's got another book called Electric Body, Electric Health, mm. which is also really good. It's a newer one. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, you know, and now that you've had some time to reflect on it, what what is your impression of the tuning that you got or maybe what was your wife's impression? Um, I, I Okay, so I think what I've learned about me was was a big part of that self-understanding of where I was subconsciously holding resentment to myself and needed to let go. And I think there's still more of that that needs to happen. It's a kind of a process of it sort of, you know, little bits and pieces chunking off and maybe, you know, I, I, I don't know why it's so, uh, I don't know why it clings so well to me, but I'm, but I'm learning more and more like, Okay, here's another layer of the onion that's come off. Um, part of that, I think, and and I'm grateful for it, but it, part of it did, I think, change to where I wasn't beating myself up so much. And, you know, the the partner in my life that was not really beating me up, but, you know, was feeling very negatively towards me, uh, chose to go elsewhere. And that, you know, was sad and, and kind of gut-wrenching, but it was also like, I'm very grateful for the whole thing, which is a, a beautiful lesson inside of that difficulty, which is part of what I think I'm here to do is to have some really difficult lessons and find those beautiful truths inside of that. Because I think it, it, I mean, it's hopeful. It helps other people. Um, and we're like, we're, we left on, she left on good terms. We're like, we really care about each other, but where I'm at currently, I can't move to the South where, where she would feel more comfortable. Um, she needs to be in a warmer climate. She can't handle the cold. It's freaking cold in Wyoming. It's, I think there's still snow on the ground here. So, but, um, I learned we so have, like, much flowers and shit. Dude, we just got some here. green grass. Like we're just, <laughs> but in the future, like I'll be going elsewhere, but it's just for whatever reason, God brought me this divine challenge and caused me because I'm like seeing the mirror, which is a relationship is a, divine mirror um and i saw things that i needed to fix that i needed to let go of that i needed to that i wanted to be better i wanted to be, see my higher self um prevail and the biofield tuning was really helpful for seeing some of those spots that i can't see just in my own life you know and it's like blind spots and um you get, I actually don't have the the recording from it, but I remember you you talking a little bit about about some of this, maybe about like the higher self or like um, some aspect of that. But like, I would never have even sought you out or connected or vibed with you. I think in the same way, if I wasn't going through those difficulties, and I wouldn't have sought out your Osmos and made so many good friends there, you know. Joel Rafiti and like all these others, like it's so beautiful how this all comes together. And then what I'm knowing now is because of what we talked about with the water and everything, the vibration from the tuning forks affecting the vibration that travels instantly across um, 
all planes. And, um, yeah, for me, it was, it was a beautiful shift and it, it kind of like freed up stuff and, and I'm learning to let go. So, um, I'll probably do more with you in the future just to, uh, like the more in tune that I become to look and see and be aware of what changes and shifts with, with a newfound awareness in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool, man. I love that idea. Yeah. I think, uh, you'd be a lot better off with like a yearly tuning than a doctor's checkup. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it's not something people need to do a lot of either, in my opinion, maybe it's for probably, like some yeah. seriously difficult, acute health situations, two or three in one month might be good. But apart from that, it's like, you know, you get to see where the, in, where the hidden kick me sign was on your back that you didn't realize that you wrote and stuck back there and you get to take that off and you know uh, i love the way you put that it's, so good. <laughs> it's like that it's kind of yeah. like that cool yeah but yeah man yeah super valuable go check him out uh the interverse podcast with chance garten he's got um some of the cool like just amazing guests all the time and then the conversation usually dipping back into linguistics which is always fascinating um but that show has been a lot of fun and eye-opening. And uh, is there anything else, any other projects that you got going on that you want to launch out to people? Well, if people do like the whole religious, mythological, astrotheological syncretism with language and philology put in it, like my buddy Gabe says, philology, which is like the love of logos or the study of words. Hmm. Philology is lock picking. <laughs> oh, really? It, it totally is. It's totally how you get through, you know, get through some uh gates and and things to that were there to obscure yeah I can you see all, that, yeah. all of a sudden the what was the hurdle or the obstacle becomes the key and that's perfect metaphor for life the obstacles are the course mm. it's an obstacle course <laughs> <laughs> go to the hurdles not away from don't run away from the hurdles you will be disqualified if you're running the 100 meter hurdles so Boom. so yeah if people like that stuff I have a series of audiobooks that I've produced for Dylan Sicosio. Dylan is an absolute crusher and an amazing great friend of mine. His book series is called Spirit World. Like uh World is spelled W H I R L E D. There are six books in the series. I have done audiobooks for book 3 and 4 and almost done with book 5 and then I will take on book 6. The whole series is worth it. You know, I would, no joke if it was me, you know, if I was you and I was interested in this stuff and it was new to me, I would start at book one and maybe even get the ebook and the audiobook and listen to it while I read it. <laughs> because sometimes, you know, I, I'm not really like this, but I know a lot of people are where they see a word they don't know and they're just like, the, you know, they don't know what it is at all. Sounding words out is tricky or you don't know the, the rules of how things would be sounded out in different languages. I had to learn some of that, like learn some other alphabets to do the audiobooks, and it can be helpful to hear it and read it. I think both are valuable, but in general, I just recommend those books, whether you get the audiobook or not, it's or get the physical book or both. Like I have all versions of all of them. Nice. <laughs> I think they're super valuable. They have them back here, actually. Yeah, let me see one of those um 
I don't know if I've seen the cover of them. And I'm going to definitely look at the audiobooks because that's my jam. I'm going to be doing some long drives this year, so that'll be nice. Yeah, this is book five that I'm working on right now. About 90% done producing the audiobook and doing the narration. The Holy Sailors. Yeah. Dude's a legend, man. He wrote like, what, three books in a year or something crazy? Or? <laughs> yeah, last year he really did a lot. And uh, he's he's still on the same level of hustle. Yeah. He's got a sub stack now, so... He's been doing a lot of writing that doesn't really fit into a book, but you can go to his Substack, Dylan Sicosio. Uh, find him on Instagram. What's that? How do you spell Sicosio? I always get that. S A C C I O C C I O. Okay, I'm gonna put so all go, this stuff Joe. in the show notes and links to the books. Yep. If yeah, if you have any links specifically to where they can purchase, um, maybe just shoot that to me in a text. Oh yeah, if they this. go. That's a great question. But if they go to my website, interversepodcast.com, okay. and yeah. they go to the shop tag, there will be a link to one of the books, July's End. It looks like I need to update that with the other audiobooks I've done. And also in the description of like every episode of my podcast, if you look through the show notes or the description, you'll see links to the ways that people can support Interverse. They can join my Rockfin and get premium content there. I've got a Patreon. Uh, you can get an AquaCure machine at a discount. Hi Brown's mm -hmm. gas, hydrogen inhalation. Loving that lately. Uh, Clive DeCarl. I've got an affiliate link with him. Uh, Tippecanoe Herbs. Really great herbal medicine. You can do the Interverse coupon code with that. So lots of ways to support the show without really being any extra out of pocket. And you get something that would be good anyway. Like you were talking about allergies. Tippecanoe Herbs. You should talk to that guy, Kyle. Mm -hmm. That guy's truly a legend <laughs> we yeah. have a speaking of astrology we have a series of going with kyle dude i and, love uh, that my friend series, michelle yeah where we're doing the <laughs> astral astrology doctrine of signatures of different plants and what their qualities are and their virtues mm -hmm. are and how that pertains to the times of the year in the sky clock but like right here is one of his tinctures called allergies no sneezy <laughs> <laughs> dude i love his stuff i like the names i got the best bug spray when I was at the festival at the Bertaria festival. Um, phenomenal. Oh yeah. He was there. That's where I met him. Yeah. Yeah. That the, uh, bug repellent, the stuff you buy in the stores, this is like five second spiel. Don't spray poison on your body. It goes into your bloodstream and it kills you and makes you gay. So buy the good stuff. That's herbal and natural. And, uh, if you're lucky, it'll kill you before you turn gay. Yeah. Just don't even use it though. It's not <laughs> worth it. Exactly. So, Tippecanoe, the, the herbal blend that he had was freaking awesome. So shout outs to that guy. Yeah, you should talk to him. He's natural AF. Get him Dude, on here. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be seeking him out shortly. So Cool. He's, he's the man. I got to hang out with him uh, last week, actually. He came down to oh, cool. check out his property that he bought in Missouri, and we went to breakfast, and yeah, we hung out for a couple of days. Good times. Oh, we should, we should, as you know, as they say, land the plane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's land the plane. But like, we'll, we'll do this again and we'll talk some more. Uh, yeah. I love hanging out with stuff, you, Isaac. Man. You, you're the man. You too, bro. And, you know, all your, all your sharing of your, your own journey and some of the vulnerabilities in that. I, I hope you realize how far you've come and how whole and strong you already are. And that it's just up from here. All, I feel it, man. all good all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very blessed and thankful to, to meet awesome friends like you along the way. So I'm here for the journey, dude. It's been an awesome time. 
And I look forward to our next chat soon, man. Yeah, buddy. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Natural AF Podcast. My guest, Chance Garten. And uh, be well. Wasn't that nice? That was great. That was a great chat with Chance. Learned a lot from that guy. He's always got some good insights. So if you like the show, please share it with friends and family, coworkers. And uh, don't forget to check out our store at bylegday.com. You can support the show also there. Uh, I got a few t-shirt designs coming up on board. And also I will be in Los Angeles at the, uh, the fight that I talked about. I'll post it. Yeah. Somewhere here. And um, yeah, we'll be promoting that and sponsoring an athlete for for a trial period seeing what they think about leg day i just had it had a cool experience with it today i was um doing some breath work stuff and and sometimes when you do the you know the rhythmic holotropic breath work you can kind of get tetany in your hands and your hands will cr- cramp up and it's these muscles in the forearms getting you know very i don't know charged up with energy and electricity and um, when it got really intense, I actually took some of the leg day and put it on and almost instantly, it was like my hands just unlocked and it was fine. So yeah, anything dealing with muscle cramps, that is the, it's legitness. We're going to end this out with another song from I Love. This one is perfect because it's snowing here again. Uh, this song is called Melt. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.